you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6, um, several weeks in, maybe two months by now, and we're, uh, we're just finishing, we just finished the, the first chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, it's chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew. If, if you're visiting today, <clears throat> uh, maybe you're, you're new to exploring faith, or you are re-exploring faith after, you know, being away for a while, really glad that you're here. We get people from, like, all kinds of backgrounds in, uh, in New Jersey and, and here in this church. It's funny because some parts of the country, they're predominantly uh, non-churched. Like, there are churches there, but, but it's not much of a cultural uh, thing that, that many people do. And so, like, further out west or, or up at further in the northeast, you find uh, non-churched communities. Um, and then there are parts of the country that are predominantly churched. So, like, the south and the midwest, churches everywhere, and everyone just goes to church. Uh, my brother moved down to Atlanta for a little bit, and it was weird because people ask the question, like, so where do you go to church? Like, everyone just assumes it. Um, New Jersey is predominantly de-churched. You know, we have tons of churches here, and very heavy uh, Catholic presence and smaller Reformed churches. And what happens and what we've seen happening is that, uh, you know, people grow up in these churches, and at some point, for many different reasons, they walk away. Uh, but then sometimes they feel the call to, to re-explore and reconnect with God, and they find their way here, and they go, huh, church is a little different than I remember. <laughs> you know, there are museums now. They have baby-faced pastor up there. Uh, anyways, all kinds of uh, different backgrounds and experiences, and what, how we might be different from what you're used to or what your experience is. Maybe this is the same, but in our teaching, we just go straight through books of the Bible or big parts of the Bible. We don't pick a topic or a theme, and we don't kind of jump around. We, uh, we, we believe that the Bible is God's word, and we just want to listen and hear and understand what it is that he's saying to us. And so we're not going to skip over any confusing parts or difficult parts. We just want to know what God says. So we're doing that now. We're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, this famous sermon that Jesus gives, where it's all about the kingdom of God. Here's what the kingdom of God looks like. Here's uh, what defines the people who are in the kingdom of God. Uh, here's what their values are and how they live and what they do and what they don't do. And, um, and also part of this sermon, revealing himself as the king of the kingdom, that he is the savior. He's not just a, a teacher or an example. And the sermon, he begins with the values of the kingdom. That's the beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, all those great things. Um, then he gets into teaching about how uh, following God's will is not just following rules, but it's understanding the purpose of those rules and aligning your heart to that purpose and letting that be what, uh, what compels you to act. Uh, so those are the first two kind of big categories in chapter five. Getting into chapter six, there's a whole new category he gets into now about hypocrisy, religious hypocrisy, which is one of the things Jesus speaks out against the most throughout his whole ministry in all four gospels. And, um, you know, if, if you're here today and you were away from faith for any length of time because you were bothered by the religious hypocrisy that you witnessed, it may encourage you to know that Jesus is deeply bothered by it as well. And, and honestly, that's why it's so important that you have your faith in Jesus. And you don't have your faith in, uh, you know, it's not anchored in the church that you go to or an influential leader or an influential person in your life. Uh, people can, and they do make mistakes, 
they're going to fail at some point, but, but we follow a person who never fails. We follow Jesus. Right? Jesus will never let you down the way that people do, and so if your faith is anchored in him and not in you know, anything else that you know, is part of his kingdom but just imperfect, that's going to set you up for, for much greater um, endurance in life and in your faith. And so I do want to mention as we're getting into this a mistake that I sometimes see well-meaning Christians make where uh, it, it is true that, uh, that all, all people are sinners and all Christians are sinners and, and that's not the mistake. Uh, Christians will, will say, and like even to become a Christian, you have to admit I'm a sinner and so therefore like I'm not better than anyone else. We're, just, we're all sinners. I, I have sin that I need to be forgiven of. Um, but they take that, we're all sinners, I'm a sinner, and they extend that to include within the meaning of that, we're all hypocrites. I'm a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite, all Christians are hypocrites, all non like everyone's a hypocrite, like that's included in we're all sinners. Um, that's not true. Hypocrisy is when there's a difference between what you say and what you do, or what you say you believe and what you actually believe which is revealed through your actions. Uh, all hypocrisy, like no one likes it. Whenever we see hypocrisy, we recognize this is injustice, this is wrong, we don't like this. Um, you know, it's, it's double standards. It's uh, you're expecting something of me that I'm not allowed to expect of you. Uh, we have different things that we're accountable to and we hate it. Like just made up examples of, of hypocrisy that would drive people crazy. Like pretend there's someone who closed all the public beaches in New Jersey and then went to a public beach. I know, who would do that? Crazy. Or, you know, uh, people make rules. You can't gather in, in, indoors or like, you know, you gotta limit the number of people and then the people who made those rules go to a fancy dinner party. I don't know anyone who'd do that, but it would be infuriating. <laughs> we all hate hypocrisy. We all recognize hypocrisy. Christians, um, when a Christian sins, that doesn't make a Christian a hypocrite because we admit we're sinners. And we admit, like, okay, this is something I have a problem with, and I need to repent, and I need to be forgiven. You know, if you say that it's not a sin, there would be hypocrisy there. But, but just because you sin doesn't make you a hypocrite. Um, Christians become hypocrites when we pretend we're better than we are. We pretend we're better than other people are. We pretend that their sin is worse than our sin. Um, in order to not be hypocritical, we have to be humble, but we can, and we're expected to be sincere and genuine in our beliefs that what we believe and how we, there is alignment there. And that's what Jesus wants to see in his kingdom. Does that make sense? All right, we're gonna get into it, and uh, we're gonna be talking about religious hypocrisy for at least the next few weeks. I think three, maybe four weeks. Um, and so Jesus starts out like this, uh, just kind of a general warning about hypocrisy. Verse one in chapter six, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. All right, starting out with a warning, beware. Beware means, you know, you should be paying attention. You should be on the lookout. You should be, you should be using some caution here uh, when, you see, when you see danger signs. You don't want to ignore them. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the ones at like, I don't know, power stations or substations. I don't know how anything works, but the one with electricity and uh, they have like the big kind of danger signs, like if you touch this, 
you will die. Um, human beings like to push boundaries. There are certain boundaries you shouldn't push, right? This is like deep in human nature. So I have a two-year-old, and, uh, and it, it just starts so young. So I can tell my, my two-year-old daughter, I can say, uh, don't stick your hand in the trash because it's gross. And she'll look at me and she'll go, because why? Uh, she doesn't say why, she always says, because why? And so I'll say, because it's really yucky. And she'll go, because why? Because it's where the trash goes. Because why? Because we don't want it everywhere. Because why? Because it'd be anarchy. Uh, like, you get, you can't, like, you can only go so far in the why trail before you just kind of, because. Because why? Because. Be, because why? So you go through all that, she's, and she'll look at me, and she'll smile at me, and she'll stick her hand in the trash. <laughs> because she wants to see what I'm going to do. She wants to see if that's actually a boundary, and then you have to enforce the boundary. Um, some boundaries you, you try to push, and, and you find that you know, the boundary is there, and it's, you know, the consequences are less devastating than others. You don't want to push the, the power station boundaries. You don't want to push Jesus' boundaries. Like when God gives a boundary, you don't want to push with that and say, well, are you, am I really going to be punished in hell for this? Um, the problem, Jesus says in this warning, it's, it's practicing righteousness in front of other people so that they'll see you. The problem's not practicing righteousness. That's a good thing. You should practice righteousness. It's when you do it, when you do the right thing for the wrong reason, for, for the wrong uh, motivation, doing the right thing for the wrong reason, there's still something wrong there. You know, it might be, it might play out better than doing nothing if you do the right thing for the wrong reason, but, but there's still something in you that needs to be addressed. You know, if, you, if you're just doing something nice to someone so that other people will see and admire you for it, and, uh, and you're not actually doing it for that person, you're doing it for yourself and your own glory and your own reputation. Um, you know where this probably shows up a lot? Th this probably shows up a lot if, uh, you know, just, just see if this is a, a familiar situation for you. You've been doing something, and the whole time you're doing it, you're thinking, I'm going to take a great picture of this, I'm going to write up a great caption, and this is going to get a great response. People are really going to love this. And, and whatever it is, the thing that you're doing, it maybe kind of give you pause to think, what am I actually doing this for? Am I, am I doing this just so people can see me? Just so people can be impressed with me? Or am I doing it for the... Um, social media, I'm not going to say social media is, like it doesn't have its uses, but you do want to be careful with it because it could so easily become something that exists to feed your own ego. And that's not going to be good for your spirit. It's not going to be good for your spiritual health. Um, you see this a lot with, uh, with parents who have like big followings or are trying to get a big following, and they, you know, because you'll be just come across a video that has amazing production value, and, and the one that I see a lot is like they, they put together a lunch for their kids that is beautiful, but you know the kid doesn't care. They're like six, um, but they, they have this video, and they type up a capture, whatever it is, and, and they post it on the internet for strangers to see and comment on and say how great they are. And, and it just calls into question, you know, if the video wasn't there if, there, if the camera wasn't there, would you be doing the same thing? I don't know. 
it at least calls it into question. And, and if you wouldn't be doing the same thing if the camera wasn't there, who are you actually doing it for? Are you actually doing it for your kids or are you actually doing it for yourself? So that everyone can see it and, and think how great you are, how great a mom you are. I was telling Megan this, my wife, uh, just the other day. It's like, you know what future industry is just going to like, the, the, the need is never going to die down. Uh, professional counseling, because among all the other things that can mess us up, uh, we're going to have like a generation of kids who grow up where their whole life is just plastered on the internet for strangers to judge. And, uh, and they have like no... Um, no privacy, and, uh, and they're going to they're gonna realize at some point, they're going to go, well, I don't know if mom's really doing this for me or if she's doing this for herself. Like, I kind of feel the, get the impression that I'm being used here, and that's going to do stuff to you. <laughs> that's going to do stuff to the way that you feel about yourself, and you're going to need professional help untangling that. Um, anyways, Jesus says, when, when you're doing this, when you're practicing righteousness for your own glory so other people see it, think that you're a great person, the result is that you're Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Right? They got the only reward they're gonna get. People think they're great and they have it. Um, Jesus makes a pretty powerful assumption here. You notice that? He doesn't say, you know, if statement here. And then I'll pause for a second after just because I want it to sink in and I want you to think about it. If generosity, being generous with your wealth, is not included in how you follow Jesus, you're following Jesus wrong. At best, you're immature and you need to grow. And at worst, you might not actually be following him, but you've deluded yourself into thinking you are. It's a hard truth. But it's something we need to hear. This is why we preach through the Bible and don't skip things, because if I had my choice, I'd just probably, like it makes me uncomfortable to talk about, but like this is God's word, and Jesus is talking about it for a reason. Faith in Jesus touches every part of your life. Nothing can be off limits to Jesus. You can't hold anything back. 
right? If you make the decision to follow Jesus, you can't hold anything back. And there are things that you may want to, and you might want to, keep off limits, where, where you say, Jesus, I'll follow you in everything else. I'll do everything you say. I'll trust you with everything else. It's just this one thing. Just let me keep this one thing. For some, it's, you know, I, Jesus, I just don't want to listen to you with what you say about sex. Jesus says sex is a gift for marriage and the marriage relationship, and marriage is, is one uh, husband and one wife for, for their life. That's the way that God's designed it. You say, well, I, I can do everything else. I just don't want to listen to you about this. For some people, it's money. They don't want to listen to what Jesus says about money. It's like, Jesus, I'll do everything else. I'll, I'll be the best Christian you, there could possibly be. I'll go to church and pray, and I'll share the good news, and I'll, I'll live my life according to the, the pattern that you've set, but, but I need this for me. Those are two of the, the really big ones, the, the ones that people try to keep off limits for Jesus. You let Jesus change everything else about you, but you don't want him to change those things. Not the only ones. Here's another one. For some people, they don't want to listen to what Jesus says about forgiving. Or forgiving one person. Like, Jesus, he just hurt me so bad. She just hurt me so bad. I can forgive everyone else. I can forgive everything else. I just can't forgive them. It's too much. I can't forgive. I can't listen to what you say that, that I need to forgive. Everyone has something. For every person, there's going to be something Jesus wants you to trust him with and wants you to give him control over, and handing that thing over is going to be so hard. Surrendering that thing is going to be so difficult. That's why Jesus says this in Matthew 16. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake We'll find it. Like, he's so clear. It's like, following Jesus means you're going to deny yourself. It means you're going to die to yourself. Some of the things that Jesus is going to tell you, you need to let go of this. You need to trust me. You need to surrender. It's going to feel like, this is killing me. Like, a part of me is dying to hand this over to you. But that's what following Jesus is. And if you can't do that, you can't follow Jesus. Now, the reason that generosity matters so much is it's just, it's so connected to your heart. When the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to be generous, this is what he says, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, for you know that the the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the gospel. This, this is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and it's the reason that we can follow him. It's the reason we can make the decision to, to let go and surrender and give everything to him. Because Jesus was, uh, Jesus was, was in heaven, sitting on a throne, perfectly fine where he was, in us, as a result of our sin, we, we owe a debt so large we could never afford to pay it back. We could never pay what is required to make our sin right, to, to, to take care of things and, and make everything right. We can't afford that. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus, although he's sitting on the throne in heaven, perfectly fine how he is, he decides to leave, to be born as a human being, to go to the cross and by his own death pay what we owe so we could be forgiven, 
we could be set free. He could make us righteousness. He could give us his own record of righteousness. Give us the gift of eternal life. A treasure that we'll always have for all eternity. That's the reason that, you know, making the decision to follow Jesus and surrender everything to him, although it's not a light decision, when you understand what you're getting from Jesus, it is an easy one. You get so much more than you give up. Like, you can't outgive Jesus. He gives you his, his love, he gives you his grace, he gives you forgiveness and freedom and healing and eternity. That you keep with you forever. That feeling of the debt being gone forever, being set free, uh, just, just being released from the burden of your sin, having the hope of eternal life, that feeling changes us. One of the ways that changes us, it has to, one of the ways it has to change us is it encourages us to be generous with others like Jesus has been generous with us. Here's what Paul writes in the next chapter. He, he stays on this thought. He says this, each one must give as he's decided in his own heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. For Paul, generosity is not like about following a rule, like there's this obligation that you have to fulfill and you just do it. For Paul, generosity, it comes from a heart that's changed by the generosity of Jesus, so much so that the act of giving becomes something you can be excited about. You can be cheerful and excited about giving because you know, wow, this is going to be a blessing. This is going to make a difference. This is going to be a help in the world. This is going to accomplish God's will. This would be like, uh, and this is just an example. No one has to do this. I know you want to, but um, if someone paid off my mortgage, I know, it's all right. We're, we're making do. Uh, if someone just did that, and I didn't owe any money anymore, suddenly set free from that debt, and then I became aware of someone, you know, maybe someone in the church who's, who's really struggling uh, to pay their bills, if, if I'd been freed from that debt, it would be such an easy decision, such a quick decision to say, I want to be a help. I, I want to help you with this. You know what would be kind of messed up? What would be kind of messed up is if that happened for me, someone was really generous with me, and I came to know about someone who's struggling in the church to pay their bills, and I thought, well, it's going to help them build character. They just need to work harder. I'm going to go buy a second house. That's why generosity is so important, just in terms of your own spiritual health, your own heart, your own spiritual condition. It's an indicator that something is very unhealthy and very wrong if there's no generosity showing up. Because it means you've not really been changed by Jesus. You've not really been impacted and touched by his generosity for you. You don't really know what that is. And I know that, like, this fake scenario, like, that's no one's life right now. Like, no one's, maybe, probably, dropping, like, enormous sums of money just to bless you. And, uh, you know, it's expensive in New Jersey. We all have bills. 
Uh, inflation's crazy. House prices are way up. But none of that means you can't be generous. Jesus has paid so much. He's given you so much. So much uh, spiritual wealth that, that meets your needs so, so deeply. And, and not only has he done that, but truthfully, everything that you have is from him in the first place. Everything in your name, everything in your account. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is his, the fullness thereof. It's all his. He lets you be in charge of it temporarily. All of it is from him. This is a big part of giving the, uh, the, the promise in verse eight because I don't want people to go nuts with this where, I mean, sometimes like really zealous Christians start to, but the promise in verse eight, so basically you can be generous and God is able to provide for you so that your needs are taken care of. That's what the promise is. The promise is not if you're generous, God will make you rich. There's no promise like that in the Bible. It's not true. It's a prosperity gospel. It's a false teaching. It's not saying that. It is saying you can be generous with the abundance God has given you, and he's going to make sure that your needs are met. Like, your security is not in your nest egg. Your security is not in making sure you have enough for every contingency and, and even making that to be more than, than truthfully you might need. And there, wisdom is a big part of this. Um, Paul wants us to be wise with our giving. God doesn't want you to give everything away and become destitute or put yourself in a situation where you're gonna collapse. So he goes on further in verse 12 and he says this, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need um, that there may be fairness. Generosity looks different for different people just depending on what their life looks like because um, it's according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. When Jesus sees the widow putting in her, her last two pennies into the offering at the temple, he says she's given more than everyone because she gave everything that she had. And, uh, and she's already in a position where she, she relies on others to, to meet her needs. Paul says, you know, don't give so much that you suddenly fall into need and other people have to be burdened to meet your needs when you could have been, you know, providing for yourself. Um, but when you have an abundance, when you have more than you need, that's when you should be ready to use it and be generous for others. Does that make sense? Part of this, part of this generosity is, is giving for people's needs directly, you know, food, shelter, medical needs, things like that, uh, taking care of people and making sure they have the things that they need. You get to be the answer to prayer for some people in doing that. Um, part of that is giving to support the ministry of the gospel because it's through the ministry of the gospel. The good news of Jesus is preached and people's lives are changed and they get to know the hope of Jesus, the forgiveness, the love of Jesus. Their lives become changed. They get to become more generous, right? We want to be generous so that God's will is accomplished on the earth, so his kingdom is spread out, so more people know Jesus, more people are met with the love of Jesus and having their needs met. Let's go back uh, into what Jesus says again, Matthew 6, uh, back to verse 2, but then we're going to keep reading on. 
says this, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, part of the reading the Bible is understanding like the intent in it. The left hand, right hand thing, like that's not a literal thing. You know, it's not like you, you can't even let yourself know exactly what you're giving. Like you don't go to the bank and be like, withdraw a random amount and don't tell me. I'm gonna give it away. Um, it just means be discreet. Don't parade it out there. Don't tell all your friends. Just do it privately. This is teaching about what the kingdom of God is like and what, what is the kingdom of God like? In the kingdom of God, we care about people. We care about people's needs more than we care about our own comfort. And we care about people more than we care about what people think of us. That's how Jesus wants his kingdom to be. That's how Jesus wants you as a member of his kingdom to be. When you become a Christian, your priorities change. Like Jesus changes everything. Nothing in your life is untouched. Your goal when you are living in God's kingdom is not the American dream. Goal for your life is not to achieve a certain uh, financial standard and, and level of, of wealth or comfort or security in your material things. Your goal is to glorify Jesus who loves you, who gave so much for you, who loves the world to obey him, to trust him, to be his representative in the earth and, and love people the way that he's loved you, that you would be able to see more and more people whose lives are changed by Jesus, who get to experience the joy of being forgiven and accepted and redeemed, given the hope of eternal life. And you're gonna miss out on so much you're gonna miss out on so much of that, so much of your purpose, so much of the joy that God has for you in your life as long as you keep money as something that he's not allowed to touch. God, I can't use this for you. I can't use this for the things you tell me to. I need this for myself. Uh, you don't understand, God. I've, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. This person said I need this much by this age and, and this person said that I should have these things. as long as you keep a mentality about your money, this is for me, I need it for me, I need to take care of myself, can't afford to be generous. If you think you can't afford to be generous, there's a problem. It's according to what a person has, not according to what a person doesn't have. It means it's proportional. I'm of the belief that, uh, that tithing, the 10%, is not instructed in the New Testament. Giving is instructed, generosity is instructed. I don't think that it must be 10%. I don't think 10%'s a bad rule or a bad goal. It's according to what a person has, not according to what a person doesn't. That's one problem, not being generous, thinking you can't be generous. That's a deeper problem. It's not even the one that Jesus is talking about here. 
The one that Jesus is addressing is when you're being generous for the wrong reason, so that people will see you and just think you're a great person. Um, and it's all about you, and it's all about your own glory. Some people, and, and this is hard for like non-church people to know, but like within faith communities, like sometimes you want the, the status and the recognition and the admiration of the other people within that faith community, and you just want them to think that you're a great Christian, that you're super mature, that you're, you're on fire for Jesus, and, and it feels good to have that, that approval and that status. Some people want the, the recognition that comes from living righteously, but they don't actually care about righteousness. They don't actually care about being in a right relationship with God or living in a way that pleases him. And so they, they go through the motions whenever people see them, and whenever they can't, they don't care. Jesus says it should be the opposite. If it's real, it's gonna be the opposite. If Jesus is real to you, and you love God, and you want to grow closer to him, that's when you practice righteousness when no one's looking. Because that's all that matters. It's between you and him. If your faith doesn't matter to you when no one's looking, you're just pretending. If your faith doesn't matter to you on Monday, if, if it doesn't matter when... Um, you know, if your mom's there, or she asks you to pray, you'll pray, but when you're on your own, you're fine with skipping. If, uh, if, if you get more excited about skipping, worshiping at church, then you are excited about actually going and worshiping Jesus at church. It is pretending, and that's your choice. Everyone has their reasons, but what you get from pretend, pretending can't compare to what you get from the real thing. Jesus teaches this short parable about the real thing and what the real reward is. And so he says this in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is before banks. Before banks existed to keep your stuff safe, you dig a hole and bury it and you have like a marker, you know where it is. Um, but what would happen sometimes for extraordinary circumstances, uh, war, famine, disease, whatever it is, uh, sometimes the person who buried it would die before they could dig it up, and, and maybe their whole family would be displaced, and for whatever reason, it stays there, and it's forgotten. And in this scenario, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a, a guy who goes out, and, and he finds it. In this, uh, in this empty field. And what he does when he finds it, he goes in his joy. It is not painful for him. In his joy, he goes and sells everything he has, and he buys that field, and he gets the treasure that's hidden in it. It's one of my favorite parables. It's so short, but I love it. And uh, I love thinking about, like, what do this guy's friends and family think? Like, when they see what he's doing, they're going, huh, you sold everything to get this field. You know, they're trying to be nice. I'm like, that's a nice field. Good job, buddy. Uh, or, you know, maybe they're honest. Like, what are you doing? You're ruining your whole future. You gave it all up and you got nothing. It's kind of like buying crypto. I don't know. I don't know enough about crypto. I've heard that, like, some, it's, I guess some people do well with it, but I've also heard there's lots of scams. 
they probably think this is a scam. Friends and family, right? You gave it all away, and you're basically getting nothing. It's what the world sees. It's what the world sees in a Christian. It's because they don't know what's actually there in the field. They don't know what the treasure is, but he does. So he doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He goes in his joy and he gets the field because he knows that treasure is worth more than everything that he just gave up. The reward that you receive from your Father who's in heaven, the reward for living righteously, is not uh, you know, forgiveness and salvation. That's not a reward for righteousness. That's a gift. The good news of the gospel is that that's a free gift that Jesus gives to you. Forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, salvation. Those are all given to you. The reward for living righteously is that you grow closer and closer to him. You become more like him and you get to know the joy every day of walking with him. He's the reward. Right, what a, what a Christian treasures is not the stuff that God gives you. It's God himself, the source. It's Jesus who, who loves you and who made you, who, who paid the debt for your sins and, and set you free, forgives you, heals you. There's this human longing that we all have. Everyone craves this. Everyone wants someone who... Um, who will, you know, feel proud of you and approve of you and be there for you and love you. Like, we all want that. And we all want to really feel it. Like, we want to know that this person uh, approves of us, is there for us, uh, is proud of us, cares about us. That's the reward for practicing righteousness. Your relationship with God grows deeper, more intimate, more fulfilling. Fills you up and and satisfies you and and strengthens you to to go and endure anything that, that life might have for you. Religious hypocrisy is cheap. You know, the opinions of other people about you, that's cheap. People's minds are fickle. They change. People might forget about you. They might change their opinion about you. Whatever. You know, it doesn't last. Real righteousness gives you an eternal reward that is with you forever. Deeper relationship with the God who loves you. That's what you get from practicing righteousness, really practicing it in private between you and him. Real righteousness is always gonna get you closer to God. There are times maybe when, when you're not gonna feel it, it's gonna feel like work, it's gonna feel like your mind is drifting um, and, and you're distracted and you have all kinds of pressures on you. But you keep at it. You're gonna find he's, he's there for you, he's there with you, he loves you, he cares for you. You're going to know that joy of being with him, of being loved by him. That's what I pray that we have. You know, if, if you're here today and, and you've struggled to make that decision, am I going to trust Jesus? I'm going to follow him. Or 
I don't want to give this thing over. I, I pray, I hope that you would trust him. You would release that thing to him. You would see how he shows up for you. You would see how good it is to receive the reward for real righteousness. Let me pray for us.